Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listeners, this is Christy Rosenquist. I'm sitting in for Sue Jeffers. She's off today, saving the planet somewhere. And uh, with me today, I have Nora Felton, who will be helping us when we get to talking about trains and the intersection between trains and the World's Fair. We're also going to be talking about Obamacare and the fact that it hasn't been rolled back and repealed yet. We'll be talking a little bit about uh, government uh, work and whether they're doing a good job on things like helping police departments buy their cars at the right price. We're also going to talk in the 4 o'clock hour about wind energy, because you know me, Christy Rosenquist. I can't come to Sue's show without talking about electricity and wind energy and where we actually get our power from. And then we'll hopefully have a little time to hit a few smatterings on the 4.30 hour about the clean power plan, which is related to electrical energy too, environmental justice and the cost of carbon. We'll maybe even talk a little bit about that climate march going on in Washington, D.C. First of all, though, I wanted to talk a little bit. Believe it or not, those of you who know me will hardly believe that I get Al Franken's newsletter in my email inbox. And glancing at Al's email um, newsletter for this month, it has something about the fact that he really cares about people who mine in northern Minnesota and that he is really concerned about all the steelworkers up there Um, who have been laid off, although mostly it's iron ore miners in Minnesota. I found that sort of curious since he doesn't seem to like mining. But according to Al Franken, it's his job to look out for Minnesota workers and their families, which is why he recently called on the Trump administration to crack down on illegally dumped foreign steel from South Korea. And he said he was very pleased that the administration heeded his call. So Al Franken called on the Trump administration (laughs) to roll back the ability for foreign countries to dump cheap steel in the United States. Um, And apparently Trump is wired straight into Al Franken because, according to Al, the Trump administration heeded his call just days after he pressed them to uh, take care of this issue. So So it's not Al. It's Al that's saving the world then, not Sue today, is what you're saying. It is, Stan. Thank you. Yes, Al Franken is saving the world and saving all those mining jobs that he doesn't want them to mine in northern Minnesota. I'm excited for the show today, too, by the way, Christy, because you're you're really into the, the wind and the solar and all this stuff. And I was thinking about my I got a couple of buddies. They kind of lean this way, you know. I'm seeing a left leaning there. Yes, very much so. And uh, I've gotten in some heated debates with them, so I'm I'm interested to hear what you have to say, too, so I can maybe maybe, uh, pack some of this in my backpack of information today and really get them going next time I see them. Your buddies should call in. (laughs) I'll talk to them right on air. I'll have to shoot them a text. I'm sure he'd be interested. (laughs) So now that we know that Al Franken, in fact, apparently wants mining in northern Minnesota with no mines— We're going to move on to talking about light rail, a topic that has been a hot topic around Minnesota for quite a while. 
And uh, as many of you may know, there's a number of rail lines being considered and a number of rail lines pushing for funding. One of them goes to Duluth, a rail line that had a passenger line for many years that was shut down because they really didn't have people riding it. So somebody is trying to resurrect that idea that we need a train that goes between the Twin Cities and Duluth. Then, of course, we have Southwest Light Rail that is theoretically going to run from Minneapolis to Eden Prairie, my old uh, stomping ground where I grew up. And legislators from the Minnesota um, legislature wrote a letter to the U.S. Department of Transportation asking that the federal government not, in fact, provide $928 million <clears throat> for the Southwest Light Rail. And uh, that apparently has been upheld that the Department of Transportation has said, no, we're not going to give that money because your legislators let us know that we don't, that, that the state doesn't want it. In, in addition, Representative Jason Lewis, uh, Minnesota's second district congressman, also urged the Federal Transportation Administration to reject the funding. That being said, it looks like the Met Council has been trying to do an end run around this and uh, get funding anyway, force some funding, get funding from the federal government that would also obligate you, Minnesota's taxpayers, to cover 10% of partial uh, part of the cost of that. In addition, here is a rail line that is not built, that is controversial, that a lot of people don't want to see happen, including landowners who would be affected. But already, how much has been spent? Oh, yeah, $159 million has been spent just to study whether or not there should be a rail line. This is before it's actually permitted, built, or has ever had a rider, $159 million. Seems like we might be able to uh, do something a little bit better with that money. And yet we have Met Council Chair uh, Adam, is it Dulnink? Um, he said that, that those legislators are just using this project and the Met Council as a piñata. And he worries that projects like Southwest uh, will fail to move forward, that mobility options for Met County residents will be uh, severely limited. Well, right now there is express bus service directly from Eden Prairie to downtown. And as far as I know, most commuters are not going from downtown to Eden Prairie or from any suburb to downtown. Primarily they're moving between the suburbs. So I'm not exactly sure why this is a vital thing. There are other ways to get downtown, and we think they're already there. Well, didn't he say something about that they're going to go out for bonding anyway, uh, just the Met Council? So is that going to put taxpayers on the hook anyway if they just decide to go forward even without any federal money? That's Nora weighing in, and I think you are correct. And it would put at least Hennepin County taxpayers on the hook, possibly all of the um, counties covered by the Met Council, and possibly also state taxpayers. So they want to obligate you whether you think you want a rail line or not. So as I mentioned earlier, I have with me um, Nora Felton. She lives down in the Goodhue County, rural uh, Goodhue County, where I do. And she's been active on rail issues because of another rail line, affectionately called the Zip Rail, sometimes called Zombie Zip Rail. Yes, and the zombie has got new life breathed into it as of Monday, I'm afraid. So, Nora, would you briefly introduce yourself and also tell listeners um, about your organization? Um, yes. As uh, as uh, Christy said, um, I am from uh, rural Minnesota. Actually, we farm down there, and I'm one of the uh, co-founders of the Citizens Concerned About Rail Line group, and we've actually been working together with another group that's closer to Rochester called the Citizens Concerned About Rail Bypass that were, first of all, that was when Rochester didn't want a train in town, and now they 
do want to train in town. And you're wondering, well, how does all this fit together with this latest uh, resurrection of the zombie? And that is that on Monday, um, the Minnesota delegation voted with the rest of Congress for what seemed like a reasonable thing. And that is, well, let's if we're going to start new trade negotiations and deals and make America great again, which I definitely agree with, uh, they talked them into uh, reinstating their membership with the Bureau of International Expositions, which is in Paris, France. And why does this matter? Well, uh, long ago, about 2014 or so, I believe uh, you remember hearing from our old Secretary of State, Mark Ritchie, that wouldn't Minnesota be the great place to have the 2023 uh, World's Fair? And so there had been a lot going on behind the scenes about that. But as you know, every World's Fair needs to have its big attraction. And Minnesota's big attraction, the big gleaming thing that everybody would come and see, was going to be this new high-speed rail from the Twin Cities to Rochester. Hence, by going ahead and uh, re-upping our membership in the Bureau of International Expositions, we have now flung wide the gate of having that here in Minnesota. Why are why do we think we might get it in Minnesota? Well, originally the uh, timeline for this was everybody was supposed to have their paperwork in last spring and the host city was going to be announced in the fall of 2016. However, since at that point there was only Turkey that was interested in well, as you mean in the country of Turkey. The country of Turkey. <laughs> and as you know, they're a little preoccupied right now. So I guess they decided to extend that deadline. And so when I first heard about this legislation out in uh, uh, at our capital, I wasn't too worried because I thought, oh, that timeline's gone past. But I checked into it on Tuesday and found out, nope, nope, they extended not only the application period now to May 11th of this year, but we won't find out until in the fall or November of 2017. So I'm afraid we could easily be the host cities or host state for this because the other great contenders now are Brazil, which, as you know, got raving reviews for their Olympics. And, and aren't they broke? And they're broke. And and Argentina, which I understand would be a great place to go if you want to help riot in the streets. And then there's Poland. So um I think Minnesota may have a good chance, and so we may end up with this debacle after all. So the World's Fair, uh, why would anybody want to host a World's Fair? That's a good question, because I understand that there hasn't been a World's Fair that has made any money since, uh, well, well before the last one that was in the United States, and that would have been in New Orleans in 1984. So it would have been prior to that that they actually made money. I know that the one that they had in Milan, Italy, that we actually had a delegation of 17 people from Minnesota that went to that and uh, came back raving about the dancing fruit. Now, I cannot remember exactly. I think that was in a, a Star Tribune article, but I, I couldn't find that this morning when I was running out. But they were absolutely mesmerized by the dancing fruit in Milan, Italy. So you know, I suppose we could have something that big here. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they could have dancing vegetables and ask Green Giant or somebody to help sponsor that. But I know that it cost them uh, well into the millions of dollars for the Milan uh, exposition and uh there wasn't a very good turnout. So 
I don't really see this being much more than another like. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere. Even at thirty thousand feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus. Super Bowl type thing where we provide all the security and all the risk and everything else. And I, I'm not really sure we're going to get a lot back out of it. So I recall the article with the dancing fruit because that sort of mesmerized me too. That that somebody thought that was an amazing thing. The same article, I think they were amazed that they had music and dancing. Because apparently Minnesota has no music or dancing unless we have a World's Fair. Oh, that would be sad. I, I, we should probably let my daughter's dance instructor know that because I, I think that I, I just went to a couple of recitals just in the last few weeks. But um, I believe that Minnesota could probably have not only the World's Fair without a bright shining train, um, but, uh, you know, we we probably can have enough other ways to show them dance if that's really what they're here for. I understood that the theme that they were heading for in 2023 was going to do with uh, health and well-being and hence that's why they they want to bring them into the cities but then have them uh, put in luxury train accommodations to get down to Rochester in record time. Um, What's in Rochester? Well evidently you know the the Mayo Clinic's down there and and you know you thought that this thing was kind of dead and over with once uh, the Minnesota Department of Transportation decided not to study this anymore. I believe that was in January of 2016. But, you know, the latest article uh, about how wonderful this was uh, and having people come here from China to perhaps sponsor uh, this was in September 15th. There was an article in Just the last Post. Fall. Yep, September 15th, the 2016. There's an article in the Rochester Post Bulletin about. Uh, how the DMC, which is uh, Destination Medical Center, felt that we needed to have this this uh, high-speed rail come in there. And they, they talk about how they met with the Chinese uh, representatives of the China, China Railway International. They're hoping to sell EB-5s, which is a kind of a you get to buy your citizenship here. And at this meeting, they talk about that there was there was an ice sculpture of an elevated high-speed rail train lit up in bright colors that glowed as area leaders sat at tables eating breakfast. So um, obviously it was quite the affair. Uh, I don't know. They must have had a little trouble financing it because I don't know of many people that go to breakfast on these types of things. But um, it should be noted that the North American High Speed Rail Group um, actually doesn't exist much, at least above ground anymore. They're their office has been closed, the one that they, they did have that just had a post office address. Um, they don't have a, uh, oh, what do they call it, uh, up at the state capitol anymore, they registered to, to do lobbying. So uh, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out, hopefully not well, for, because we would like to keep our land in production. So, Great. So, Nora, we're going to head to a break here. You're listening to AM 1130. This is the Sue Jeffers Show being hosted by Christy Rosenquist and my guest, Nora Felton. You can call and ask any questions you'd like. Our number is 651-989-5855. 
welcome to the Sue Jeffers Show. This is Christy Rosenquist sitting in for Sue Jeffers. As we mentioned earlier, she's off saving the planet somewhere today, and she asked me to fill in, and I'm having a great time doing it. Um, this is AM 1130. I have with me today in studio Nora Felton, and we've been talking a little about light rail trains, and uh, most recently we were talking about a proposed light rail train line running between the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul to Rochester, Minnesota, home of the Mayo Clinic, and whether or not that's a dead thing or not a dead thing. So like a lot of light rail train lines, they seem to um, have a life of their own. This one got $3 million, at least in state funding, to be studied for a number of years. It just so happened that it was studied until the $3 million was exhausted, and then Olmstead County decided they didn't need to study it anymore because state money had run out, and they had also spent quite a bit of Olmstead County taxpayers' money on studying what they called zip rail. Then there was a private organization that popped up called North American High Speed Rail, and they were saying that they would privately fund this rail line, which sounds like a great idea, except that there's really nothing about their plan that could possibly come true. Um, because they they can't run it in between the two lanes of the highway down there. Um, there's not enough room. They can't put it in the right-of-way because we have CapEx 2020 electrical lines and other problems with that that would make that impossible. So it really means that what they would have to do is run it through the private property of people who already live and farm in the area and earn a living off of the land. And this is for a rail line that um, really nobody wants except the people who seem to be lobbying for that rail line and those who are making money studying the rail study of the study of the study, and they seem to study these things to death. And then about the time that we thought, there's no more zip rail, it's a dead thing and gone, um, although when it was still alive, we noticed a number of things, and one of them was this odd link to the World's Fair. And World's Fair is a project of our former Secretary of State, Mark Ritchie. Um, he thinks that Minnesota should host the World Fair in the year 2023, and as Nora and I were talking about, apparently they're enamored with like music and dancing, which apparently we can't have without a carnival called the World's Fair. And they also seem to be excited about the dancing fruit that they saw in Milan, Italy at the last World's Fair, which I find a little bit odd. Um, and the other thing that they said about the World's Fair is that they, they want it to be focused on um, medical medicine and healthy living and medical devices and things like that that are a uh, a, a big industry in Minnesota, an important industry in Minnesota. But frankly, I'm trying to figure out if what you're looking for is 20 booths for people to set up their wares. Um, I don't know why they need to build a high-speed rail line to get that done, nor can I understand why they don't just rent something like, you know, the Minneapolis Convention Center, because I'm pretty sure they have room for 200 informational booths there about medical care. In addition, I think that if my doctors felt like they had to go to a World's Fair, like, go to a carnival to find medical equipment, I'm not sure I want them as my doctor. So having said that, um, this whole idea that they're going to have a privately funded rail line between the Twin Cities and Rochester and that somehow it's necessary for us to host a World's Fair so that everybody can ride the train to go to Rochester, Minnesota and see the Mayo Clinic has struck a lot of us as very odd and not a good use of our, our money. And although they say it's going to be privately funded, too late. It already has quite a bit of public funding put into it. And in addition, about the time we thought it would go away and never haunt our doors again, it seems to come back to life. Uh, and so therefore it's been dubbed the zombie zip rail because this thing never quite dies. So Nora Felton, tell us, uh, 
kind of wrap us up on the on the issue of trains and and tell us uh, what we need to know and also tell us again about how people can get information about your organization if they want to see what's going on with our zombie zip rail train line. All right. Well, if you want more information, we do have a uh, Facebook page. Um, we can't really afford to keep up our own uh, web page, but you can go to C. Carl, Minnesota Facebook page, and we try to post any and everything that has to do with uh, the proposed zombie zip rail between the Twin Cities and Rochester. And, and not to make real light of it, but keep in mind, this is really not light rail. There is uh, the Department of Trans Minnesota Department of Transportation has been very picky about uh, making sure everybody understands there's light rail, there's regular passenger rail, and then this is the creme de la creme. The only thing that would be more expensive is to try to do a maglev. So when we're talking that this is, oh, the shiny new object, that is really what it is because uh, high-speed rail is the most expensive type of rail that you can put in. It works well if you're in, like, say, Japan or some high-density areas, but absolutely is not something that you need in Minnesota where we have 62 uh, people per square mile on average. And, uh, and, and it just it, and is not going to stop and pick anybody up. And no matter what they tell you in Rochester about needing to be able to transport people down to work at their center, most of their people, and even the Department of Transportation has done studies on this, come from a concentric circle from around the city. They don't all come from the Twin Cities area. Um, and so there's just a number of, of flaws with this whole idea. It, it is terribly, terribly expensive. And even the idea of having a private firm come in, they wanted to use the, what they called the EB-5s, which, again, you're talking having Chinese people buy their citizenship, and you never really know if that, where that's coming or going. Um, the Chinese uh, rail uh, that they had come and look at this has gone bankrupt a number of times themselves over in China. Uh, so there's just a lot of moving pieces, and none of them really have any good credibility or, or background that you would really want them building something this expensive. So we have a caller. Um, John, you're on the line. You wanted to say something about the train rail line to Duluth. Yeah, um, I understood the Minnesota uh, Department of Transportation or somebody is looking into something called the Northern Lights Express, which would be some type of state-sponsored train from the Twin Cities up to Duluth. And yeah, that's yes. That's another billion-dollar project. And what I can't understand about that is why can't they just have Amtrak provide that service and pay Amtrak a few million dollars a year? Why, why does the state have to bond for a billion dollars to build a, a passenger system up there? And I would assume they could do the same thing with Rochester, too. Well, that is one of the good questions. There is this fascination with rail. Um, I don't know if some people think we want to be more like Europe or more like Japan. Um, but I would think that if this is a good business model and that it was would be self-sustaining and profitable, that someone would do that. Now, North America High Speed Rail, of course, has made gestures that they could do that with the rail line to Rochester, but uh, those who have looked at it closely have found that to be pretty much nonsense. Um, and there had been passenger rail to Duluth, and it was underutilized. Not very many people rode it. Um, I lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I lived in Japan for about two and a half years. I rode the rail line there a lot because that is how you get around in Japan. But... I think what a lot of people in Minnesota and the United States in general don't understand is that that is a completely different um, setup. There is a country, Japan, the entire country of Japan is about the size of the state of Montana, and they have about half the population of the United States. And so if you put half the population of the United States into a, into a country the size of Montana, most of whom live on the coasts because central Japan is so mountainous that not very many people live there, and the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, when I lived there, I think it's about the same size now, it's about 12 million people. So just the Tokyo metropolitan area is more than twice the population of the entire state of Minnesota. So the idea that you have rail lines that have people riding it makes a lot of sense. But here in Minnesota, it just doesn't make sense. So, it, you know, John, thank you for calling. But I think the answer is it's not economically viable unless they take your tax money and make it happen and then continue to support it every year for the entire existence of the train line. Something that I am not in favor of, and I think Nora is not in favor of either. Um, well, no, I, I like to have things pencil out. I mean, on the farm we have to have things pencil out, that's for sure. Um, the thing with the NLX is what they call it for short, is that that was part of the original plan uh, with the rollout of passenger rail in 2008 under uh, President, then-President Obama. And the idea behind it was actually pretty good, and that was to take uh, existing area, existing tracks, freight tracks in particular, obviously, and what they did was they wanted to get a twofer, meaning you'd upgrade the freight rail so that it would be good enough to add on a portion of passenger rail to try to get value added, if you will. And those were the, really where those train dollars were supposed to go instead of merely starting out across green fields on, with some real expensive type of a, a thing like the, like the zombie zip rail. Okay, well, thank you. Thanks, John. Appreciate your call. This is Christy Rosenquist on the Sue Jeffers Show. Um, this is AM 1130. If you have other questions about trains or other topics that are coming up, you can call us at 651-989-5855. And, Nora, you talked earlier about EB-5 and whether that's a, a way to fund rail, and it sounds like that's something that um, was talked about with North American High Speed Rail. And EB-5 is a, is a visa program run by the United States government in which people can essentially buy a visa. So most people have to apply for a visa, and, and there's a lot of conditions over whether you can come or not, and you have to stand in line. But if you want to dump a half a million or a million bucks in, you can buy an EB-5 visa and come to the United States, and you're putting money into some sort of a business here. But all over the country where that's been done, it's been uh, 
there have been a lot of problems with fraud and corruption with the EB-5 program. So it's sort of designed to be a disaster, and um, I think the talk about EB-5 has died down, but it was interesting when that came down the pike. So I guess we have uh, Mark Ritchie and the World's Fair combined with uh, dancing fruit and medical <laughs> gizmos and a big shiny train. The whole idea seems a little bit absurd, and I, I think that Minnesota could probably do better <laughs> avoiding this debacle. Uh, yeah, there's just uh, way too many moving parts. And, and honestly, there is a provision uh, in the Minnesota Department of Transportation saying that you shouldn't uh, create a transportation mode that is dependent on a secondary type uh, uh, event. And so really, I, I, it's my understanding that according to Minnesota law, you're not even supposed to be able to say, well, we need to have this train for this six-month event, you know, and then we're hoping that it will all work out in the end after that event is over. Um, it should it, – all transportation is supposed to be able to stand on its own merits, and that is something that we have not seen that the zip rail would be able to do. All right. We're taking a break. This is Christy Rosenquist sitting in for Sue Jeffers on the Sue Jeffers Show at AM 1130. Thank you for listening. I keep hearing you're concerned about my happiness. But all that thought you're giving me is conscience, I guess. If I were walking in your shoes, I wouldn't worry none. While you and your friends are worried about me, I'm having lots of fun. Counting flowers on the wall, that don't bother me at all. Welcome to AM 1130. This is the Sue Jeffers Show. This is Christy Rosenquist sitting in for Sue Jeffers. Sue's off saving the planet, and uh, I'm in filling in for her and having some fun. Thanks, Stan, for keeping me on track. Thanks for having me here. It's uh, it's a pretty easy job on this side of the window, I tell you. Well, we've already talked about how Al Franken uh, thinks that he's supporting mining in northern Minnesota and that he convinced Trump yeah, to do I'm something, sure which I think was hilarious. And we've talked about the connection between the World's Fair that Mark Ritchie, our former Secretary of State, is pushing and the dancing fruit of Milan and at a train to Rochester, Minnesota from the Twin Cities. You, you know, think dancing was... fruit might not be that bad. Then I don't have to get off the couch to go to the refrigerator. The grapes can just dance over to my couch. Perfect. You know, if we could train them to dance that way, I'd be all for the dancing fruit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm really waiting for is, you know, after everything's said and done and then they have this train going from Minneapolis to Rochester and everybody with all of their bugs and, and sicknesses and everything else crawls on there and then, then we'll have to worry about another contagion of, of bird flu outbreak or something. It'll just be, we'll just call it the sickness train. The plague train. The now, plague. are you saying, Nora, that the... Mayo wants this in part because they want to be able to get workers down there and uh, make that, it easier for them to get to work? That was one of the items that their old um, engineer, Chuck Michaels, put forward, and it was in all of their—I uh, I believe you can find it all on our Facebook page— their presentations about how they need more workers and they need to get them from the Twin Cities because there's such a worker shortage. And again, I say— why do you want to grab workers from the Twin Cities and take them to Rochester? 
what does that do to your community? What does that do to your tax base? Are the people from up here going to care about the Rochester school systems? Are they going to be paying their taxes to the Rochester school systems? Who's going to go and, and, and be a part of that community? I mean, I know that, that, uh, that Lisa Clark that's in charge of development down there on their advisory committee talks about, well, this is a regional thing, and we need to have this, these two areas put together into a large regional complex. But seriously, do we want to be part of that regional complex? I, I, I think my vote would be diluted. I think that the school systems that were any place outside of Rochester would be neglected. I do not see this as a good thing. Is the train going to stop anywhere and pick up workers along the way? No, the train does not stop anywhere along the corridor. It starts out at Bloomington. It might stop in Rosemont because that might be where they decide to have this this fruit dancing festival on those 5,000 acres owned by the U of M, affectionately known as Umore Park. But otherwise, all of us in flyover country merely get to have the walls erected because you couldn't have anybody step out in front of a train going 220 miles an hour. It would derail it, never mind what would happen if a piece of ice flew off one of their wheels. And since when is it my job to pay for somebody else to be able to get to work? That's a I good mean, question. I've always had to drive my own vehicle to work. I've always said to, you know, catch a bus or whatever. Since when do we have to pay for other people to get to some other big job down at the Mayo? I'm pretty sure for the price tag they have on this thing that you could just start a limousine service and, and drive everybody in a chauffeur-driven uh, limousine to their appointment at the Mayo Medical Center every day, exactly. and you'd probably be money ahead. Actually, Randall O'Toole from the Cato Institute gave a presentation on that, and I believe he said that you could actually have, like, a private jet and take all of the 4,000 workers that come from the cities every day down there, and they could be picked up at their house. So, <laughs> Well, now, if it's a private jet I get the ride to work, that I might be up for. There you go. That's Let's true. You're never that. stuck in traffic that way, are you? <laughs> That's right. All right, so... I think uh, we'll move on from trains <laughs> and our joy of trains. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Obamacare and the fact that it has not been rolled back. Uh, it has not been gotten rid of yet at the federal level. And I think uh, all of your listeners uh, and everybody that I know, that was um, not necessarily my number one, but overall that was the number one issue in the last presidential election and elections uh, at for state-level posts and other things was Obamacare. It was a major concern. It was certainly a major concern in rural Minnesota. Um, friends that I know were facing uh, premiums of $40,000 for one family. Their annual premium cost was going to be $40,000 with a $13,000 deductible, and that was for two parents and one child. And another family that I know, which is two adult parents whose children are grown and gone, so the insurance was only for two adults who are relatively healthy, and their insurance premiums for a year would have been $30,000 with a $13,000 deductible, which is not even, I don't even know if you can call that insurance. I mean, if you have that kind of cash laying around, you could probably just pay for your medical care um, out of your pocket. And so that was... Well, you, you could, but you already had to pay into Obamacare, so everything that you would have had reserved to pay for yourself, you've had to pay out for that premium, which you get nothing for. So that was a good point, but that money's already gone. Right, and these are people who do not qualify for any assistance on the Minsure website or uh, anything else. They don't. They make too much money for to get any of our tax dollars towards their premium. 
and yet their premiums would be completely unaffordable. There's nobody I know of who can pay that kind of a premium, and the whole idea is totally absurd. So despite this, as you know, there was one um, attempt at the federal level to do some change to Obamacare, although a lot people debated whether it was really a repeal. Most people I know said, nope, that's not really a repeal. That's just sort of Obamacare light or Obamacare 2.0. And I noticed that in the Washington Times this week, there was an article by Twyla Brace. Um, many of the listeners here know Twyla. She's been on the show with Sue before, and she's from the Citizens Council for Health Freedom, Freedom uh, Minnesota organization. And Twyla said that she thinks now is the time. We can use this um, problem to make a much better health care system in the United States. Um, her article in the Washington Times says that we can it's basically going to collapse on itself. If the Congress simply ceases to fund certain parts of Obamacare, it ceases to exist. So getting rid of it really isn't that hard. <laughs> you can stop funding it. The other thing I think people have talked about before is that most of the people who are uninsured who uh, un came to Obamacare are actually insured now through Medicaid, um, not through the MNsure system or not through other online buying premiums. And the people who are, the numbers are relatively small. We used to have a really great insurance system in Minnesota that actually worked and had things that were available for people who were otherwise uninsurable. We did have a safety net. And it was a working safety net. And we got rid of that, and we destroyed the ability for people to buy uh, insurance on the open market. It was Minsure. I was on, uh, it was called uh, Minnesota Comprehensive Health Insurance, and uh, it was for people that had had some pre-existing conditions, which I had. And uh, my premium was $1,600, $1,600 a year, okay? And my deductible was $400. And I got all, all of, of uh, like, my screenings and everything else. And um, I don't have anything near that now, nothing. So that's, that's my experience. All right. So I'm going to keep it short. That's our opinion on Obamacare that needs to be repealed. There needs to be something out there that doesn't just destroy the ability for anybody to pay for insurance and to have insurance. Um, there's a lot of good ideas out there. Hopefully we're going to be seeing something in the very near future because if there was absolutely no other job for our legislators who are elected from the state of Minnesota and for President Trump and his administration is to fix this issue. This is Christy Rosenquist sitting in for Sue Jeffers, News Talk, AM 1130. We'll be back right after a break. Sue Jeffers Show. Happy Saturday afternoon. This is Christy Rosenquist sitting in for Sue Jeffers, who's off today. And in this part of the program, I wanted to talk a little bit about an article that I saw. Sue linked it on her Facebook page, and I read it and said, wow, that's kind of amazing. It had to do with the fact that police departments across Minnesota who purchased new vehicles were overpaying for those vehicles and the parts that come on those vehicles that are supposed to automatically be a part of the contract. And I found it fascinating for a whole number of reasons. One is that a Minnesota state agency called the Minnesota Department of Administration has what they call master purchasing contracts. Now, I knew master purchasing contracts existed. It's sort of an esoteric topic, I know. But because I actually do work for a state agency, I've heard of this concept before. I just didn't know that the Department of Administration negotiated these contracts uh, to include 
police departments that are city and county. So county sheriff's departments, city police departments are able to use this master purchasing contract through the Minnesota Department of Administration. Well, as it turns out, the organization that got the contract, which is a company out of Fergus Falls, was supposed to know what their contract was. Since they negotiated the contract with the state of Minnesota, you would have thought, would you not, that they knew what was in the contract. And part of the contract was that a standard uh, vehicle for a police department would include spotlights. Police departments use those. That makes sense. Engine heaters. Yes, it is Minnesota, so having plugging in engine heaters to uh, keep your engine warm so you can get it to start and run. And heated mirrors. All really good ideas. So I, I, I say yes to all of these in this negotiated contract. But as it turns out, um, it's from a Carol Levin investigative report that they were uh, selling these vehicles and then instead of having all of that equipment as part of the base price because it was part of the contract, they were billing them separately for each of these items. So you got a spotlight and you already paid for it in the base contract and then you got billed again for the spotlight and you had an engine heater and then you got billed again for the engine heater. But what got even more interesting is that a lot of these a lot of this equipment on some of the vehicles was not even there. So not only was it not there as part of the base package, but it wasn't even put on the vehicle. There were some vehicles that had no engine heaters and possibly no heated mirrors. So it's a very odd idea. And, of course, the other thing that's special that I thought was interesting is that um, I hadn't really thought about it, but when you order a police vehicle, you order it with the back doors. You can't roll down the windows from inside the vehicle, which makes perfect sense when you think about who gets transported back there. But... I hadn't realized that that was like a, an option. <laughs> you can order that from the factory, apparently, huh? Yes, you can that order that crazy. from the factory. <laughs> Not, you can't roll down the windows and, and all that good stuff. So these were all standard things. But instead of, uh, uh, I found this whole thing fascinating for a number of reasons. One was the company that negotiated the contract didn't follow through on the contract. That was one of the fascinating things. The next thing was the police departments who bought the vehicles some of them hadn't noticed that that equipment wasn't on the vehicles. Well, I mean, I think they would have noticed the spotlights right away, but like the engine block heaters that you plug in, mm -hmm. like until There's they were notified cord, by yeah. the investigative team, they didn't notice that they didn't have them. That would be something I think I would notice whether it was on there or not. Uh, but I think it just goes to the oversight of things when everything gets thrown into a kind of more of a general fund. Okay, we're going to spend X amount of dollars on police cruisers. They don't even check it to look. Okay, did we get A, B, and C, what we ordered? And then in this case, if they didn't get it, they got it, but then they had to pay for it a second time, which is obviously a bad business deal. If you're, any businessman doesn't want to pay twice, much less once. Exactly. The whole idea just struck me as crazy, but then it got even better. And and I'll admit, I am a state employee. I've worked for Ooh. the state for a number of years. And there's a lot of great people working for the state, but there's a number of things that just aren't working, and this would be one of them. Because apparently the Department of Administration, according to the investigative report, has known about this since 2015, oh. at least 2015. And they had, they were told about it by a whistleblower and also by one of the police departments. And so instead of, like, putting out an announcement to all of these police departments that are using their contract, and they know who's using this blanket contract— and who's not. Um, and instead of going to the person who holds the contract, they just put some little tiny disclaimer. It was on the investigative report, like way at the bottom that says, you're in charge of knowing whether the equipment's there and checking to make sure you're not double billed. Really? 
that's it? You find out that you have this major problem with one of the contractors that you negotiated a contract with that they're not doing what the contract says and they're double billing. And instead of notifying everybody and making this a big issue, you just put this little tiny, like somewhere in the deep print about That's the, the directions. sad part about it, though, is, you know, you should. It's just like a contract. You don't sign any contract without reading fine print. But at the same time, it is shady on the contractor to be double billing them. But at the same point, I, I guess I agree with them a little bit on that point. If you're too dumb to notice it, you know, hey, that's your problem, not not the people that are billing it. However, it also said that after after they already knew there was a double billing problem, the Department of Administration renewed this contract <laughs> with Nelson Auto in Fergus Falls. <laughs> they sound like good, honest people. <laughs> <laughs> So, on the one hand, is it a huge amount of money? I don't know. I mean, they went out to 20 different police departments for this investigation, and oh, all couple, 20 had double billing. A few grand a pop, I'm sure. You know, that adds up when you're multiplying it by that many. Right. So, the internal audit, apparently, now, not when they've paid back the first police department, and that's the other thing, is this Nelson Auto didn't fix it after they had refunded money to the first police department who noticed it and said, hey, you overbilled us. They didn't go out and fix it then. They waited until this investigative journalists come along and said, what is going on? And now they've done an internal audit, and it sounds like those police departments are going to be refunded money. Um, their internal audit found uh, about $700,000. Now, individually, I suppose, over 20 uh, different departments, although those were the only ones they looked at, it's probably more than 20. Um, maybe that's not a lot of money, but it I don't know. $700,000 in a, in a pile is quite a lot of money. $700,000 is quite a lot of money, and you think if it's one thing here, well, 700 this program, that program, the other program, pretty soon you add all those mistakes up, it, it gets to be a pretty big number. It's well, kind of like real money. <laughs> well, why don't any of these people, don't, don't they see themselves as taxpayers? I, I mean, as a taxpayer, I mean, I'm just horrified. You would think they would say, well, it's my job. To, to look this over and, and treat it responsibly. Of course, I have heard, how many p politicians and other people have I heard, well, we're going to get these federal dollars. Well, what, does, does somebody from another planet come and pay the taxes so that the federal dollars don't come out of my back pocket? Because last I knew, they still come from me, and they act like the federal money is for free. So it must be some of those same people that just assume the money comes from I don't know who, somebody, some alien from somewhere. Well, you know, um, $3 million to study Zip Rail, $159 million to study Southwest Light Rail, and $700,000 over billing on cars. What's the difference except that it's all of our tax money? <laughs> and, and you're right. We see the same thing between um, city governments and county governments and state governments and federal governments. They act as if the money is just magically comes. They don't know where it comes from. Um, I, I don't understand that at all. Um, I think that anybody who works for a government agency should consider that a sacred trust. You're, you're spending taxpayer dollars. You're being paid with taxpayer dollars. And hopefully you would consider that uh, very carefully. I just don't understand this idea that we're, we're throwing, and I mean big amounts of money, here, there, and everywhere. Uh, it's, a, it, it's a craziness. It seems like if you put all that money together, it would really add up. So this is Christy Rosenquist sitting in for Sue Jeffers, and pretty soon we're going to be coming up on a break. And after the break, guess what we're going to be talking about? You'll never guess. It's Christy Rosenquist. What do you think we're going to talk about? Wind energy. <laughs> oh, yippee. <laughs>
We'll be talking about electricity and wind energy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.